welcome to Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we are here each and every week to bring you the very best in entertainment. We do that on our show, Screen Cleaning, which highlights all the good in entertainment. There's plenty of bad that we could talk about. We could talk about the negative things, the gossip. We're not interested in that, and we know that you're not either. So we're here to bring you the good news in entertainment. And the good today is some of the best. This is one of our very special episodes. It's the Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame. Where we induct a couple very special movies that are near and dear to our hearts into this rare air pantheon of just movies that we like. Cole is going to play that stinger, that little musical. Yeah. As often as he gets the opportunity. So, uh... Anytime we say Hall of Fame, anyway. <laughs> I think it lends an air of gravitas. This is, I have my sure. own trumpet fanfare for the screen cleaning. I won't. <laughs> that was all right. Do you, do you wish you had a couple of trumpeters following you around, Cole, announcing your presence whenever you entered a room? Would anyone say no to that? What I really wonder <laughs> is how in the world I've seen people play trumpet before. I was in high school band. There's no buttons on those big, like you know, fancy medieval fanfare trumpets? How do they make different noises even come out when there's mm. just, it's a long tube? Does it take like four different trumpeters to, and they're all like, it's the Christmas bell effect where you each have a different tone and you have to play in in sync to I be able to make it happen? I don't know if that's a question that we'll be able to get answers to this hour, Cole. Well, I just ask the questions. <laughs> I don't expect answers. This is an extra special Hall of Fame episode though, because... Our producer, Mickey Randall, is moving on from BYU Radio Aww. to bigger and better things. So sad for And me. so we wanted to give her the opportunity to induct a Hall of Fame pick into our Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame. And Mickey, we just want to familiarize you and our audience with exactly what goes into picking a Hall of Fame yes, movie. Because, you know, we could easily talk about our favorite movies, which we often do on the show, but we're not going to have The Princess Bride uh, be— Or The Dark Knight. Right. We're not going to have those be a pick because those are obvious ones. And I normally make an excuse, no matter what the topic is we're talking about screen cleaning, to bring up how cool—and, I mean, today I'm also going to bring up The Dark Knight, but that, that's for <laughs> later on. This is where we just kind of look at the ones that are slightly under the surface, that don't get appreciated enough, or movies that we generally and genuinely love, but we just haven't found the excuse to talk about it. Today we're going to devote half of a whole episode just to one movie and how cool it is. It's— Essentially, an episode-long version of Panning for Good, which we will also get to at the end of the show. So, Mickey, when you think of a movie that deserves to be inducted into the Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame, what movie comes to mind for you? Well, for me, it would have to be The Way, Way Back. I have seen this film, and Mm -hmm. I saw I remember seeing it in the movie theaters— so go on. I'm listening. Yeah, that's where I first saw it, too. came out in 2013, I think. Um, it's got Steve Carell, uh, one of my favorite actresses, Toni Collette. Yes. You also have... One of my favorite actresses, Allison Jenny. Right. I would add her on to my favorite list as well. Um, Sam Rockwell Sam is Rockwell. in it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph. Lots of, lots of great... It's a great cast. Lots of great people in here. And it's the story of a young boy. He's probably thir- 13, 14, 15. 
and he has to go on vacation with his mom, played by Tony Collette, and his mom's boyfriend and her daughter at their beach house. And as you can imagine, uh, it's maybe not the most fun uh, experience for him. His parents are, it seems like, newly separated. His dad has moved out. And Steve Carell is not very nice to this young boy. I love... Whose name is Duncan. The way that movies introduce characters. People that know what they're doing whenever they're writing a film. And even in the the filmmaking, the way the, the camera tells a story, too, can tell you a lot about a character from the onset. And Steve Carell is normally a really... Funny, albeit, like, dim-witted character in a lot of movies, but you always empathize with him. You're always like, oh, it's Steve Carell. Like, he's Not great. in this one. <laughs> We're introduced to him from Duncan's point of view in the way, way back seat of a sedan. Uh, and Steve Carell is talking to him as they're driving, asking him why he doesn't put himself out there more. And, and he asks him what he thinks of himself on a scale of 1 to 10, which... And the kid, to which the, the kid, question, to which the kid, six. he responds yeah. a six, which is a safe like, if you ask someone like a six or a yeah. seven, I feel like that's what it's not like I low self esteem, yeah, but not but, too high. And I don't think I'm a ten. Yeah. And Steve Carell's response: I think you're a three. So Steve Carell's character shows his true colors immediately, like even before the credits have rolled. You know what kind of a character he is. So you're right, Mickey. This is not going to be the most fun summer this young boy has ever had. Luckily for Duncan, he stumbles upon Sam Rockwell's character. His name is Owen, who happens to work at a water park. And does he, like, own the water park? He kind of lives in the water park. It's like they say he manages it. Well, I think he either owns it or manages it, it, but really it's Maya Rudolph who's who's doing all the work, right? Absolutely. And she kind of gets on Sam Rockwell for not doing the the work. But Duncan, in a cute way, Duncan eventually gets a job at this water park and just has the best summer because these people who are mostly adults he's hanging out with are so nice to him. And make him feel confident and like he belongs somewhere. Um, and at the end, he is more actualized. He's kind of grown up a little bit. He's came of age. Yeah, definitely more said. confident. He's liked himself a little bit more. He's had some difficult conversations with his mom. And uh, it's unclear what will happen in terms of the water park, but Duncan had probably a life changing summer. You know, I. Watching this movie again, I was sad. It was a very bittersweet ending because, you know, there's the part of you that thinks, oh, he'll just go back there next summer and have a wonderful summer again. But this time watching it, I thought, you know what? I think he learned all he was supposed to learn at that Mm -hmm. water park. And he's been armed with the tools that he needs to, as Sam Rockwell says, go out and and pave your own path, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Yes, this movie, there's so much to talk about with this movie. The cast is amazing. I can't believe they got all these wonderful actors in one movie. These, uh, This movie comes from the Academy Award-winning team of Nat Faxon 
and Jim Rash. Yeah, let's talk about how they got that Oscar, though, because oh. they were they were nominated and won for the screenplay for The Descendants. And I knew that. I, I just watched this movie this week in preparation and for And you had the never show. seen it before. Had never seen The Way Way Back before, never even heard of it. But I have watched The Descendants because in addition to its adapted screenplay win, it was also nominated for Best Picture. I, I watched the Best Picture nominees. And I hate that movie. I, oh, <laughs> interesting. Jim Rash is amazing. He's one of the best characters in all of television for his portrayal of the Dean in Community. Um, I love the Dean. He's got great <laughs> writing chops as well, apparently, because now I've seen this movie and I love The Way Way Back. But having only known about The Descendants before I watched this, my expectations were low and I... I wasn't I wasn't sure what you were getting me into, Mickey. Mm. <laughs> I well, ended up enjoying it a lot good. more than what they actually won the award for. They're actually also in the movie too. That's I think true. it's worth noting that Jim Rash plays Lewis, the like surf shack worker. He's the butt of all their jokes, yeah. but well, they still love him. You can tell they love mm-hmm. him. There's themes of the movie of like trying to move on or just being in a place at a time, right? And so Jim Rash's character kind of serves the purpose of He's an adult still working at some water park, but he wants to go do something else with his life, but he just never ends up really being able to. One of the climactic moments is they're having a, a going away, a farewell party for him because he's finally going to leave this time. And then in the final scene, he's still there, which is its own kind of <laughs> melancholy. But everyone loves each other so much at this water park that it's also kind of cool that they're this family that's always still there. Yes, but I, I think it is interesting to note, though, that this boy feels like I want to stay here forever. I never want to leave. And, you know, if I could stay here forever, everything will be just peachy. Mm-hmm. And Sam Rockwell's like, you know, we're not always open. It's going to be winter. And I paint houses during the winter. And that's miserable. You know, so you what he's the advice he gives him is really sage advice that he he needs to go out and make his own path. He can't just rely on, you know, a fun water park experience to get him through his life because clearly that's not a winning formula for some of these people that have stayed at this water park for all these years, right? But, you know, there I do think that you have to have the you have to have that juxtaposition of, you know, the the bad and the hard so that you can really enjoy those other moments. Those people to them since that's their reality, it's probably doesn't have the same luster as it might to a 13 or 14 year old boy. It's amazing the kind of really mundane things that movies are able to show us and put us in the eyes of how magical they can be. Some rundown bum water park in a tourist trap town is not really like the go to scene to paint a coming of age story. But this does it so well. It works. It works really, really well. You know, what's really interesting, this is this is the thing that stands out the most to me in this movie is something you already talked about briefly, Cole. You have these two actors that have really gotten so used to playing the, the same type of character. You know, Steve Carell is usually the protagonist, the lovable loser that you love to root for. Uh, and Sam Rockwell is usually the charming villain, right? Or just this weasel of a guy. But here, they're both playing against type. Steve Carell is just this scumbag boyfriend, and he's a scumbag for multiple reasons, which we don't have to get into all of those reasons. But Sam Rockwell, on the other hand, is this 
casual, easygoing mentor that without really having to try that hard can build up everybody around him. And in turn, I mean, you you almost feel like as an audience member, like, man, I feel better spending this time with Sam Rockwell. What's interesting is Sam Rockwell would go on to play a similar character in an Academy Award nominated film. In fact, actually an Academy Award winning film, a film that also won a Best Original Screenplay Oscar, not from Jim Rash and Nat Faxon, but Taika Waititi. He plays a a, uh, a kind of a disgraced Nazi mm-hmm. in Jojo Rabbit. And now you're thinking, how do you sympathize with a Nazi? He's somebody that, you know, doesn't – you can tell he's kind of doesn't really fully believe in this cause that they've got going on. Again, for multiple reasons, Germany isn't exactly winning the war, but also – he plays a closeted homosexual that clearly, if anybody in that regime would have found out about that, he would have gone like that, right? But plays another character that ends up kind of being a little bit of a mentor for Jojo Rabbit and really a hero. The way that uh, the way that his character has this arc and the way that uh, you see him end his part in the movie is really... Uh, it, it makes you want to stand up and cheer, but it's it also makes you sad at the same time. That's all I'm going to say. But again, similar character where he is a mentor to a young person and just kind of the hero of the movie, right? It was so delightful to see him in this role because he's always charming, but he's not always the good guy that you root for. So I was so happy to see him in this role. The Way Way Back came out in 2013, and I'm trying to figure out why I didn't love it and watch it from the moment it was in theaters, (laughs) because on paper, it's got a lot of things that I knew that I would love and I did end up loving, and I think I figured it out. So Steve Carell and Tony Collette were both also in a movie that came out in 2006. That's right. That had a similar vibe to this called Little Miss Sunshine, mm-hmm. which I really, really love. And on the poster, it says, you know, a comedy from the studio that brought you Little Miss Sunshine and Juno. So there you go. Two of my top 50 favorite movies, probably. And they so they were advertising to specifically me. But by 2013, I think these kind of cute... Indie-ish, like, feeling, you know, throw a a soundtrack from a bunch of artists that you never heard of kind of movies that that started really in, like, Garden State-ish with Zach Braff and ran through, you know, movies like Juno and Little Miss Sunshine. And and by 2013, I think I was kind of done with that. Over it. Mm -hmm. It was probably Perks of Being a Wallflower that crossed the Rubicon that was like, all right, this is... I'm a little past sympathizing yeah, with the 15-year-old that, that had, like, never done this before. <laughs> but now, outside of that for, you know, seven years and looking back to this movie, not being in it at the time, I was able to really, really enjoy it. But you do have to be in the right mood. You have to embrace the fact that this is going to be a little on the quirky side of mm-hmm. movies. But I also think it does a good job of... Of reminding you what it's like to be that age. Which is timeless. Mm -hmm. And also the importance of being kind and looking for ways to build up people around you. Because you never know what kind of an impact you're going to have on that younger generation, right? 
And I love the arc that this character has. The actor's name is Liam James, and as you said, he plays Duncan, a.k.a. Poppinlock, right? <laughs> Which it comes up in a fun scene later on in the movie. But you can tell right from the beginning, oh, I know teenagers just like that. You know, you can you can tell from their body language how they feel about life, right? And his body language in this movie is you can tell he was making some very specific choices, kind of just like slouchy, hunched over, arms don't move when he walks type of thing. And as he goes through the movie and begins to uh, gain more confidence, you know, he presents himself a little better and he says what's on his mind. Like you said, he finally has some difficult conversations with his mom. And I do think the ending of the movie is bittersweet because you can tell that yeah, he's probably not going back there again, but you can also tell that his mom has had a bit of an arc too, and maybe she's ready to make some changes in her life. Mm-hmm. So I love that multiple characters have arcs, and Sam Rockwell's character even has a bit of a one. And uh, yeah, lots of character development here. Liam James is able to speak up for himself as opposed to that opening scene, right, when we're introduced to what Steve Carell's going to be like as Steve Carell's kind of hounding him in that very stereotypically stepdad that doesn't get it kind of way. He just puts his headphones in and tunes them out. And that blends us right into like the start of this cool soundtrack that the whole movie has. But by the end of the movie, Steve Carell's kind of doing the same thing, but instead of just tuning him out, he does something about it, right? He leaves and he says goodbye to all his friends at the water park and then he actually confronts him. And... Mm-hmm. Steve Carell is actually one of the few characters in the movie that does not have an arc. He's pretty much the same person at the end of the movie as he was at the beginning of the movie. And, uh, yeah, nothing that he does or that is done to him is going to change that. He is somebody that not only is he very critical and can be harsh in his words— But he is also, he just hears what he wants to hear and just kind of tunes everything out. Mm -hmm. So when he will confront Duncan about, oh, was that you sitting on my car? And uh, I thought we talked about this type of thing. Before he'll even give Duncan an opportunity to speak, he'll say, okay, you know, like, and and he'll just walk away and has moved on. And uh, yeah, he really, just hears really what he good wants to performance hear. by Steve Carell, who actually almost didn't do this movie because they shot it in the summer. And Steve Carell says the summer's when I'm on vacation with my family, <laughs> so I'm not going to be able Hopefully to work. Hopefully, being a little nicer than he is in this yeah, movie. Well, I'm sure he's he's a much nicer person than <laughs> he was fella. in this movie. But it turned out that it, where Steve Carell vacations in Massachusetts was like 10 minutes away from where they were going to film the movie. Perfect. So he just he was able to. Uh, work for a couple days and get it filmed, which I think was a good choice. He's great in this movie. It's so interesting because we talked about the charm of Sam Rockwell, and you talk about how you usually really like Steve Carell in the movies. I've always liked Sam Rockwell in a movie, no matter what character he's playing, no matter what his motives are. I really did not like Steve Carell's character. Mm -hmm. Like, you really don't like him. And so, as you know, by extension, you kind of don't like Steve Carell. You know, so but he falls short of like cartoon villainy, right? Oh, Everything yeah, he says, so, yeah. I have so heard my friend's dad yeah. say, like uh-huh. he's genuinely like trying. Everyone pulls their weight in this family as right. he just like throws a bag we at this. We clean kid. up after ourselves. We clean up after this family, it, that type of thing. It like seems like it's coming. It 
it, it's the right things to say, but it's coming from the wrong place. Yeah. And you can absolutely tell without it being explicitly stated, which I think is the mark of a good performance. And yeah. Good, good mm-hmm. great script. Yeah. Like, it's got all that nuance. And it's also just downright hilarious every time Sam Rockwell or Allison Janney open right. their mouth. I was going to say, we should talk about <laughs> Allison Janney, who also oh. gives a really great performance and is kind of like a side character. But pretty similar to most of the characters that she plays in her movies and TV shows, right? But this might be like the most this pure is such version a good of character. it. We all, yeah. we all know that person in our, in our lives that uh, maybe opens their mouth and puts their foot in it a little too much. The person that uh, doesn't have any boundaries and Mm -hmm. that just kind of does what they want to. But you can also tell is hurting and is lonely inside, right? right? As soon as she comes on screen, you're like, Mm -hmm. I know this person. (laughs) You're like, everyone's met someone like that. But at the end, she has a really nice arc where you find out she was actually a very nice and caring person, especially to Toni Collette's character who really needed it. Yeah. So I think... Her performance there is awesome. Whenever we prepare to talk for 25 minutes about one movie, I try to take notes as I'm going. And I I split a piece of paper down the middle. And as you can see, my notes for The Way Way Back include one sentence. Everything out of Allison Janney's mouth is gold. (laughs) And then I just got so caught up in how good this movie was that I didn't take another note for the entire thing. But like from her first scene, Mm -hmm. that was my first note of the entire movie that I love. This character is so well written. You know, for me, the take the big takeaway is really for parents because there's a juxtaposition in this movie of the type of parent you really don't want to be and the type of parent or and or mentor that you really aspire to be, right? I'm not saying that we all need to be reckless and lazy. Bums working at a water park for probably minimum wage. Right. right but-, but the way that they treat young people is night and day difference. Whereas uh, the actual parents and neighbors that uh, Duncan reluctantly has to be with this whole summer, they're all about themselves. They are completely selfish. They spend little to no time with Duncan and sort of tolerate him. And he's kind of just he might as well be a kid in the corner with a coloring book. Right. Um, But with these other adults, he's treated as an equal. They don't condescend to him. And they build him up and give him opportunities to shine. And really, that's the adult that I want to aspire to be. And I think you can find a happy medium between being responsible, which those selfish parents were actually not very responsible. But you can be responsible while also having some of those other traits where you don't have to speak down to kids and you can find opportunities to build them up. So there's a lot to take away from here. And certainly, I want to be like one of those adults at the water park. <laughs> the, the real world application is just sometimes to take someone outside the people you spend every single day with sure. to really be able to connect with, right? Even the best parents in the world, your 15-year-old angsty kid will get sick of. And so as, as we all like interact with other people, right, we can be the kind of good influences or, or open enough that people can feel free to come to us with with struggles. Uh, you know, if if we say nothing else, just know that we need to be good influences at home and elsewhere. Right? Just be the same person you are at home as you are everywhere else. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we've enjoyed talking about The Way Way Back. One of my favorite movies that year that it came out. My wife and I were delighted by it and I was so excited to revisit it 
and uh, one of my favorite Sam Rockwell performances slash movies. We're going to go in a completely different direction when we come back, and we're going to talk about a director that has made movies that made way more money than this movie made, but uh, this movie that we're going to talk about actually didn't make that much money, and for some strange reason, I really love it. That's coming up next here on Screen Cleaning. It must be nice to be full of good advice to say. It must be sweet, but I'll call you if I need it. I'm doing all right for the time, fine for the time being. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning, the Hall of Fame edition. Before the break, we talked about the uh, 2013 film The Way, Way Back. And now we want to talk about a film that I'm guessing Mickey and Cole were scratching their heads thinking, why is Jeff choosing this to be his... Hall of Fame pick. Look, I know that Michael Bay has a couple films in the Criterion Collection, but did we really have to honor him in our <laughs> Hall of Fame, too? Wait a minute. What are the films in, of his in the Criterion Collection? Armageddon and The Rock. Really? Are in the Criterion really? Collection, really? folks. Okay. Well, let me give you a little bit of a backstory, okay? Because sometimes we have some of the best experiences with movies when we really don't have any idea what we're getting ourselves into, right? So when I was living in California, I decided I'm going to take a road trip up to Utah. I got a ride up to Utah, and so the person I was going to be staying with wasn't available or wasn't at home at the time. So I just told the person who was giving me the ride, just drop me off at the Dollar Theater, and I'll just go see a movie or two. And first of all, that was such so cool. A, such a movie thing to do. I oh, yeah. That, that's was, our kind of guy. It was so cool to just be dropped off at the movie theater and just watch a couple of movies back to back. The first movie I really did not like, and it was the Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie starring action movie. Mr. and Mrs. Mr. Smith. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah, it sounds like the right year. Not a fan. I didn't really know much about that other than the trailers that I had seen for it. But the next movie I saw was a movie that... I had never seen the trailer for. I knew nothing about the plot. And so I was hooked and riveted the entire time. It's a movie directed by Michael Bay. I'm not the biggest Michael Bay fan. Really? I I know the types of movies that he makes. So kind of like we, we recently talked about Hallmark Christmas movies, right? And if you want to look up that episode, you can just Google Screen Clean Screen Cleaning Podcast and check out that episode, Hallmark Christmas, as well as over a hundred other episodes right at your fingertips. Including a couple other editions of our Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame. Like this one. Thank you, Cole. So I know what I'm getting into with a Michael Bay movie, but this is my favorite Michael Bay movie. It's from 2005. And it is called The Island. 
in the mysterious faraway time of July of 2019, the world has gone to... <laughs> that was my favorite part. You know, we can never seem to get these futuristic movies right. You know, they're never... By the time we hit that point in time, we're way off on those predictions, right? And this one didn't even set it that far into the future, right? Yeah, 14 years either we were going to... Yeah. But let me give you the premise of this movie. So you start with this character played by Ewan McGregor. And his 2005-era frosted tips. Right. And he plays Lincoln Six Echo. Like, who do you know with a name like Lincoln Six Echo? And he wakes up from this bad dream where he's floating on this yacht with Scarlett Johansson. I should I should start over. That's not a bad dream. But the bad part is he gets knocked into the water and these mysterious people are pulling at him from every direction. And then he wakes up in this bed in this very pristine, clean bedroom slash facility. Goes over to his wardrobe collection, which we'll get to, I'm sure, in a minute. Takes out a pair of Pumas. Puts on this tracksuit, and he heads out for breakfast. Turns out he's in this facility where everybody's dressed the same, his food is rationed, and when his cholesterol is too high, he has to go and have a visit with this guy that just seems like he runs the place, right? Sean Bean. Yes, and so you're wondering, what is going on with here? What's what's going on here? You know, and the way that they explain it is there's been this uh, contamination and these people have been very lucky that they were a few of the people that survived this contamination and that they're in this facility so that they can go through decontamination. Right. So their food is rationed. Their cholesterol is measured. Why is everybody in the best shape of their life? Um, and why are most of the people in this facility like the best looking people you've ever seen? Because there's a secret underneath. There is a secret. And, you know, a lot of these people would like to leave this facility and go to this mysterious place called the island. All they know about it is that it's so much better than this facility they currently find themselves in. And the way that you get to the island is that you win the lottery. Okay. So there's there's usually a winner every so often, and uh, the people that are chosen are ecstatic. They're over the moon. Well, Ewan McGregor is just kind of a curious George, isn't he? He likes to ask questions, which the higher-ups in this facility don't necessarily appreciate. He spends some of his time getting into some trouble with one of the maintenance workers that's behind the scenes. Played Steve Buscemi. Wonderfully by Steve Buscemi. This is one of my favorite Steve Buscemi roles. Again, he's not playing this psychopath. He's playing this kind of cool guy that you know has got your back and that you you might actually like to spend some time with because he's kind of fun and funny, right? And Steve Buscemi says a little more than he probably should. And uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson, where she comes into this movie, I mentioned her early on, she befriends um, uh, Ewan McGregor's character. And this is another peculiar thing. Anytime these two characters come into close proximity with each other, there is kind of an armed guard or a person with an earpiece that will come up to them and say, you guys are too close. You need to you need to break up. Right. So they've got lots of questions about, you know, opposite gender and all this. And they just recognize that they're drawn to each other for some reason. Right. But they don't seem to have any concept of attraction or sex, which we're not really going to get into. Um, But 
One of these adventures that he goes on, as he's kind of poking his head where maybe he shouldn't, he stumbles upon uh, Michael Clark Duncan's character, who has just recently won the lottery and will be going to the island. He stumbles upon a different part of the facility that he doesn't have access to normally, but he's able to weasel himself into. And he sees Michael Clark Duncan running through these saloon-style doors, these swinging doors, with this cloth over his chest, screaming, I want to go to the island! I want to go to the island! Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And he sees a little too much and realizes there is no island. What we're seeing here, and the reason that these people exist and that they're in this facility, is that they're all clones, and that they're basically... Uh, They're being used to harvest organs that the rich and famous can use so that they can live these big, long, privileged lives, right? So so the real Michael Clark Duncan on the outside had a heart attack, and he needs a new heart. And so the reason clone facility Michael Clark Duncan was chosen to go to the island is so they can bring him down in the facility, take out his beating heart, and transplant it and send it to real Michael Clark Duncan so he can continue to live. Yes. Very, very morbid. So, in true Michael Bay fashion, once Ewan McGregor makes this discovery, the entire movie is one long chase. And that's what I love about this movie. So he grabs, snatches up Scarlett Johansson, no surprise there, and the two of them jet. Well, because she was chosen to go to the island, right? So they, they kind of had a connection. He heard that her name got picked for the lottery, and so he was like, you can't can't go to the island. Yes. It's done, the island's not real, is the big quote. Takes her, and they escape the facility to this giant sweeping shot of the desert that we get, like, three different Michael Bay, you know, circular like pan or- pan. And they realize very quickly, like, why can we breathe out here? Why are there these animals kind of, you know, walking across the tundra? There and was no contamination. Why is there a guy on a motorcycle? So they follow this guy with the motorcycle. They stumble into a bar, and they're able to get the help. On the outside, in the outside world, from Steve Buscemi's character. And like I said, from the moment Ewan McGregor makes that discovery, it's one big chase. And the action sequences in this movie are so beautifully choreographed and so well thought out that uh, it's just so much fun to be a part of this movie. One of, the, one of my favorite scenes from this movie, it, it actually came from Michael Bay driving on the freeway. And he saw these gigantic train wheels, these train axles being towed on this big semi truck. And he remembers thinking, that looks really dangerous. And so the best action sequence in the movie has to do with these big train wheels. And let's see what would happen if we need to get the bad guys off our back. And let's see what would happen if we... uh, unhitch all of these train wheels and see what kind of destruction we can put on. And it is a beauty to behold. After you make like four or five Transformers movies, you become known as the guy that just relies on messy CGI stuff. But Michael Bay does not get enough credit for the practical effects that he uses in his movies, even in the Transformers movies, right? When there is a giant robot coming down to crash through a real car or explode a real building, Michael Bay 
explodes the real building and then adds the CGI giant robot later. And so in this movie where there's no CGI giant robots, he is legitimately just destroying cars with reckless abandon during this chase before they jump on like a, a kind of CGI flying motorcycle that gets them to where they need to go. Yeah, and they, if you if you watch the behind-the-scenes featurette for this, it's really cool because there's a scene where this big metal pane uh, basically splits this car in half, right? Mm-hmm. And they really did that. Now, obviously, they didn't have the CGI part was this big metal pane, you know, flying down the freeway. But uh, they basically planted it in the road and they had this car drive up into it. And it really does just split in half like that. So, yeah, the the practical effects are really good in this movie. There's another scene that should be familiar to people. And I mentioned that I was going to bring up the Dark Knight, the giant armored truck that they're following them in. Right. The, the, the bad guys are following Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson ends up flipping tail overhead goes and makes a giant arc in the sky and falls down, kind of like in The Dark Knight, where Batman flips the Joker's semi-truck, so it's like an even bigger version. Michael Bay's The Island came out in 2005. Christopher Nolan has admitted that he is a fan of Michael Bay's filmmaking. Uh The Dark Knight came out in 08. That scene is very much inspired by what we see here in the island with just a little armored truck. Uh, it's it's much more grandiose, but Christopher Nolan, again, known for his practical effects. And that's what he admires about Michael Bay's filmmaking is the way that he can make the big look even bigger. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because the next thing I wanted to talk about is the script. I feel like wow. this is this is one of the better scripts for a Michael Bay movie. Uh, that's not saying a lot. And it's interesting because uh, the the writer of this film was trying to write the action sequences into the script. And Michael Bay said, you just focus on the script. I'll worry about the action sequences. First of all, I love that passion. And I love that he's basically this choreographer in his mind. He's got it all mapped out and can dream up these amazing action sequences. You can't fault him for that because he he knows spectacle, right? He knows how to pull it off. He, he knows spectacle. The action sequences don't actually track, right? Michael Bay is not known for his great like action geography where a car is going and then it's still in the same place but the that's next not, time. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how well written I think this script is. <sighs> I think the characters are very likable. I like how how well Scarlett Johansson and Ewan McGregor play these characters that are completely innocent, right? They're innocent, they're naive, and it's cool to see them, you know, gain more knowledge and with more knowledge comes more power. And so they they evolve throughout the movie. But it's funny, there's a scene where uh, Ewan McGregor and a couple of his co-workers in this facility discover the word dude. They heard one of the guards say, dude, you know? And so they play around with that word. They don't really know what it means. And uh, it's fun to see them interact with Steve Buscemi and have them learn about all these things there, too. In one it's particular easy humor. Well, <laughs> in one particularly ridiculous action sequence where Scarlett Johansson and Ewan McGregor fall off the side of a tall building and plummet. 70 stories up is what they say in the movie. Yes. And they're survive. outside it. They fall to the ground. They survive. They land by the scaffolding, this construction that's going on. And one of the construction workers 
to really highlight the fact that, yeah, that was completely ridiculous, says, Jesus must love you. And oh my goodness, is that funny. And then because it's Michael Bay and he can't go through a movie without objectifying women, he picks up Scarlett Johansson and says, he must really love you. (laughs) Well, I was going to leave that out. But uh, anyway, um, another clever part of the movie comes up later on when you wonder, like, who are these people that are paying these millions? I I can't remember if it's millions or billions of dollars, hundreds of millions, I think, to harvest these organs in these clones. who are they? And do we get to meet any of them? Well, Ewan McGregor gets to meet up with his human. I mean, he's technically a human, but he's a clone of a human. His human counterpart, who is this Scottish playboy who is he's got this form of cancer that he's going to die in a couple of years. And so it's probably it wouldn't have been much longer before, you know, Ewan McGregor's Lincoln Six Echo was going to be called to the island anyway. But uh It's interesting because these humans, the whole time, they didn't know that clones were being created. They thought it was just like this this liquid blob in a laboratory that was containing all these organs. They didn't know that they were actually cloning humans. Because according to the eugenics laws of 2015, you are not allowed to give consciousness to the, the matter that you're cloning. Right. And so the really As interesting moral question at the heart of this movie is, if you knew that this is what it would take for you to live longer, would could you morally kill another human being in order to stay alive? So it's it's... There is a kind of a... It's not a very good question because the answer is no. social question. And, but Michael Bay, I was reading a little bit behind the scenes of this, and Michael Bay truly believes that there are people that probably would engage in this type of practice. And not to be a cynic, but I think it's entirely possible that somebody might do that. Especially, oh, there's a great line that really highlights this. Uh, Steve Buscemi's character says, you know, because... Um, Ewan McGregor is asking Steve Buscemi, like, why would people do this? And Steve Buscemi says, just because people like burgers uh, doesn't mean they want to meet the cow, you know? So I think people are okay with engaging in some of these types of practices as long as they don't ever have to see or know about... But also in defense of the people that were buying the clones, they were they lied know. to. Yeah, so they were lied to. it wasn't as much Sean of an Bean is the real dilemma guy. for them, right? Mm-hmm. But the reason that question comes into play is because you you get to meet Ewan McGregor the human and what are his motives and what's he going to do? But then, I mean, if we're going to play the moral game, right, Ewan McGregor the the guy that commissioned the clone Ewan McGregor decides that he is willing to kill still clone Ewan McGregor. And clone Ewan McGregor, our hero of the movie, decides that he needs to kill real Ewan McGregor in order for him to live. So in a very clever way. He's no better than actual, because he's right. also willing to kill a human with he consciousness. He probably killed just more so. no, 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 no. people during Even, that part where he's like pushing those yeah, metal things. He you probably killed really at least 10 people. Way too harsh on clone Ewan McGregor Lincoln Six Echo, okay? Use his rightful name, You're, please. You're trying to build this up as like a moral movie and it's a Listen, Michael Bay movie. Here's what I know. I went into this movie with zero expectations, not knowing anything about it, having some exposure to Michael Bay, but just falling in love with the movie to the point where anytime it's on TV, I'll sit down and watch it. And it's a movie I love to revisit every once in a while. And 
It, this is a movie that did not do well. Michael Bay movies it's his generally, worst performing movie. Let's talk about Michael Bay at well, the box office. They he generally is, do cost a ton of money, and this movie did cost a ton of money. He is the number two filmmaker in North America when it comes to box office returns, behind only his his the, a guy that he looks up to, Steven Spielberg. Right, North America box office returns for his movies are number two behind only Steven Spielberg. The Island is his least performing movie of sure. all of them. And, yeah, this movie did not do well at the box office. Listen, I don't think I will ever bring another dumb, fun movie to the Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame. But this is one of the most dumb, fun movies that I know of. And I think it has to do with the script. I think it has to do with the action sequences. I think it has to do with the cast. And uh, one other thing that we probably ought to talk about it's very clear to me, like from the from the get go, when this the minute this movie starts, you are going to feel like you're watching a two hour and 15 minute movie music video, which is because Michael Bay got to start in music video. I also felt like it was a two hour and 15 minute commercial because Michael Bay also got to start directing commercials. Michael Bay is brutal and unapologetic in his, uh, let's say, less than subtle Product placement. Man, I really want to go buy some Pumas, Aquafina, Speedo, Xbox, Reebok, Chevy, Budweiser, Amtrak, the Calvin Klein, MSN Search, which I don't know if even exists right, that, anymore. That is really funny. <laughs> really prediction. obvious product placement. I but I love it because I feel like there's this there's this unspoken agreement. You oh, know, it's spoken. He gets paid for it. Oh no 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 That's, no. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like. It's this game that you play, right? If you know if you're a celebrity, you know, okay, I'm going to have to make the rounds, do the interviews, do the commercials, all this stuff, right? We just accept it and we move on. So, you know, he he addresses the elephant in the room front and center. And then he does it for a few seconds and then we're able to move on. What I mean by that is most of those products that Cole just mentioned, the camera actually zooms in on freezes there for several seconds, and then we're able to move on to the next thing. And so we just need to be willing to swallow that pill and accept the fact that this is all part of the deal. You know, we this is what we signed up for when we watched Michael a Michael Bay movie, deal. just like... You already paid four bucks to rent this on Amazon. Yes. And now Is you're... that what you spent? I spent $1 yeah. renting it from the library. You don't you, own this movie that you love yeah. so much? No, but I really ought to because my wife loves it too. It's one of those movies that it's like, I don't know why I love it. I just know that I do. It's like what you said on another episode, Cole, that the heart knows what it wants, right? You true. can't explain. I mean, it's it's difficult for you to explain why you can go from watching a Hallmark Christmas movie to watching a horror movie, right? Two different feels, right? But you just know that that's what you love. And that's all I can say about 2005's The Island from Michael Bay. From Michael Bay. We're, we're really – this is – all right. I mean I, I was kind of nice to it for the most part. But The Island is like my fifth favorite Michael Bay movie. Hmm. I haven't seen quite that many. I think that it's a, <laughs> you're lucky a decent action movie. If you're someone that loves, loves action movies, I think you should – Give this movie a spin. It's different. If you're not, then I don't know. The car chase maybe not top of your list was pretty good. But as far as like high concepts, right? This Michael Bay had done a lot of things in his career. Like by this point, this was the last movie before he 
gave himself over to the Transformers franchise. And it felt like he was trying to do kind of like what he did with Pearl Harbor, where he was trying to go outside his wheelhouse for a moment and do something that's a little bit more of a think piece, right? Pearl Harbor was supposed to be his big Titanic Oscar baity thing, and then it was bad. And the island is supposed to be his, like, Gattaca, his Minority Report, his, like, think piece sci-fi thing. Minority Report is another great fantasy sci-fi movie, by by the way. By a man that Michael Bay admires, Steven Spielberg, right? This falls short of that because Michael Bay just can't convince me that his characters are likable or good or heroes. Right. I was going to say the only reason you like the characters are because you like Ewan McGregor and you like Scarlett Johansson. And his grin. I mean, Ewan McGregor plays a pretty good idiot. Like he's supposed to be like born just three years ago. Mm -hmm. And that grin he puts on convinces me that he's stupid. But that doesn't make me like his character. (laughs) Well... Like I said, Cole, the heart knows what it wants. <laughs> I love the island. I just hope I never go to the island. All right? right. But but you talk about how good the script is. One of the last lines is, the island is real. It's us. <laughs> and it's just so cool. cool. My, my favorite was, I brought you into this world. <laughs> hey, and I can take you I, out of it. I was the first one to admit the movie falls apart by the end. Everything leading up to the point where they go back to the facility, I'm all on board for. Does, does Sean does Sean Bean make it out alive, or does he? Is this I another Sean Bean dies movie? Dies. I'm not going to. I think he to. dies. I don't remember. He and dies in a very night. similar Sean way to the way he did in Goldeneye, yep. which. If that's the only my only fault with Goldeneye is the way that Sean Bean dies because it's absolutely preposterous. But we're talking about a James Bond movie here, right? It's allowed to be a little preposterous. Just like I guess Michael Bay movies are allowed to be a little preposterous. It wouldn't be screen cleaning. We have agreed on way too many of these Hall of Fame episodes. It wouldn't be screen cleaning if I didn't poke you a little bit. Go watch The Island. You will enjoy it. If nothing else, it's it's a slight departure from some of the other Michael Bay movies, which all seem the same to me. I've I've only seen the first Transformers, but I have uh, this this uh, suspicious feeling that if I were to watch all the others, I would feel like I'd seen the same movie. But the island is different, and I'm so happy that we got this much time to talk about it because it is really one of my favorite action movies that is just a big, dumb, fun time at the movies. And really, what more can you ask for? We all need some big, dumb fun every once in a while. Well, that just about closes the book on two more entrants into our screen-cleaning Hall of Fame. We have The Island and The Way Way Back. We have a couple more questions, though, that we like to ask of our inductees, and we will do that when we come back on Screen Cleaning. When you know that Michael Bay has done a movie, I will go just for that. I'm an action person. I'd go just because I like car chasing and things blowing up and crashing and guys fighting. I like that aspect. I've seen a lot of movies, actually, uh, great movies before I met Sam, like The Green Mile. If I don't know if you've seen it. I have. It's one of the greatest movies of all time in my book. It's a pretty pretty darn good movie. Yeah. I hear that this guy Sam Rockwell on it. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's, he's he's a creepy dude. No, he's amazing. Jeffrey DeMunn, Barry Pepper. David Morris, Tom Hanks. That's a great movie. The late, great Michael Clark Duncan. Michael G- the late, great Michael Jeter was in that. Um, All kinds of good actors. Graham Greene. Yeah. That's a little bit of Sam Rockwell uh, and Liam James talking about the movie that they were in. One of our newest inductions to the Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame. 
the way, way back. We also got to talk about the, well, Jeff got to talk about his love for the island. And as I like to do with all these screen cleaning Hall of Fames, we asked the question, would the sequel be better with The Rock? Mickey, I will let you speak to The Way, Way Back, which I can only imagine would be called either The Way Back, which we actually did get this year, or The Way, Way, Way Back would be the sequel, right? Would it's it be better be with The Rock? Bigger and oh, more words. absolutely it would be better with The Rock. <laughs> What what role would he play? Are we Imagine, getting like Liam James yeah, later on? Yeah, he comes back and... to the water park gotcha. like as an adult, and he's like remembering, like, oh, this impacted me so much. And so he's Sam Rockwell adult probably Liam died James. or something. He's adult Liam James, wow. not the not the Rock, and the Rock is like the new owner of the water Ooh. park. He could be a bad guy. Yeah, he could like he could be, be trying, evil. trying to or, like trying like, to market. bulldoze you guys, it or something. Yeah. You're ruining nice. a good thing nice. here. If anything, he would be the Steve Carell character, I think. Playing Just against Tony type. Collette's new girlfriend new boyfriend. <laughs> Playing against rock. type. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what about the I island? Would, I would have to say personally, I don't think the way way back would be better with the rock. I do, however, feel like um the island could be better with the rock. Because I feel like uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson played a similar role in Jumanji. You know, he's got this innocence about him and he's he's playing this totally fish-out-of-water story where he's this scrawny nerd so in, the in facility, this gigantic body, in right? In the facility, they or in the sequel, the facility comes back and The Rock is just another clone and we're, we're doing it again? Um, well, there's another facility. Oh, somewhere gotcha. else, just like there was another island uh, in Jurassic Park, right? That's a good. There's way to another do a facility, and he is the Ewan McGregor character. And Ewan McGregor has to like help him. Ewan McGregor has this mission to like, little, destroy yeah. all of them. We, we and could then... do uh, what Planet of the Apes does in their sequel, where Chuck Heston comes back just for like the very beginning and then gets killed off. Yeah. So Ewan McGregor like is making no. this big journey, and then we get to the rock and. And they get Ewan McGregor, but then The Rock takes mm-hmm. over the mantle of destroying all the facilities. It could be a prequel, too. Like, The Rock invented Ooh. the thing. You guys Ooh. are ruining this for me. <laughs> Christoph Waltz would be the, the guy that heads up the facility because he's the villain in every movie he's ever been in. And, uh, yeah, they would be called The Island Two. of... <laughs> <laughs> the other back to the thing. island back to the all right uh, uh, something like lost that. world the island too. there we go mm-hmm. i do think the island would be better with the rock the sequel i mean we end every show including our hall of fame episodes with panning for good there's good in them dire hills And when we pan for good on Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame episodes, we try to find cool behind-the-scenes and hidden stories from the making of these two movies that we enjoy. Or at least, you know, someone enjoys that brought the Hall of Fame, brought the movie into the Hall of Fame for us. Mickey, you talked about the way, way back, and and we came back into this segment with a a cute little interaction Mm -hmm. between Sam Rockwell and Liam James. Why don't you tell the story? So there's this cute interview on YouTube you can watch where Liam James, who plays Duncan, and Sam Rockwell, who plays Owen, are are just kind of chatting and giving some information about what happened behind the scenes. And from that interview, you can really tell that these two had kind of a similar relationship uh, that they portrayed in the movies. Like, Sam Rockwell acts as kind of this cooler mentor to Liam James. Even talking about how... Sam Rockwell made Liam James like a list of all these movies he had to watch. Um, 
And Liam James is just like praising Sam Rockwell's performance in other films. It's very, very cute. So I definitely recommend checking out that interview. So it's funny that you you talk about uh, Sam Rockwell giving Liam James this list of movies to check out. And it really reminds me of the fact that Liam or Sam Rockwell is a, a big lover of movies. I mean, you, you would think that might be obvious about somebody that makes their living in the movies. It's not always but the case. When he accepted his Oscar for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, he shared a story of how he was in school one day and his dad uh, pulled him out. And the the excuse he used when he was pulling him out of school was that there was something wrong with his grandma. And they exit the school and Sam Rockwell turns to his dad and says, what's wrong with grandma? And his dad says, nothing. I'm taking you to the movies. And cute. that is just such a cute, fun, awesome story. And uh, I'm so happy that we got to talk so much about Sam Rockwell, The Way, Way Back, and The Island. I never thought I would spend that much time talking about Michael Bay. But if there was going to be a movie that, that was going to facilitate that, it was going to be The Island for me. Thanks for coming along on this journey with us as we induct a couple more episodes into our, and I have to play it one more time, Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame. We do this every so often on Screen Cleaning where we take a little bit more time to talk about the movies that we love. We will be back next week with the very best in entertainment. We try to do it each and every week here on Screen Cleaning on BYU Radio. Don't forget, you can Google Screen Cleaning Podcast and look up this episode as well as over 100 other episodes right there at your fingertips. I'm so excited to be back here next week. Until then, I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. We'll see you then.